Welcome to Tech It to the Limit, the humorous and surprisingly informative podcast that makes digital innovation in healthcare as entertaining as it is relevant. I'm Sarah Harper. And I'm Elliot Wilson. And we're here to pull back the curtain on the world of digital transformation in healthcare. Don't worry, you don't need a medical degree to join in on the fun. Just a sense of humor and a penchant for all things health tech. So buckle up, folks. It's time to Tech It to the Limit. Hey, Sarah. Welcome back to Tech It to the Limit. So excited to be home, back with my bestie. Oh, it's so nice to see your face again. It's been ages. It's been so long. I feel like a month, maybe a month. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so excited about the show today. We have such a fun show ahead of us. We have on our show today... A very special guest. It's our first nursing guest. Sarah Bell from Bioformis is with us to dive into the conversations around virtual nursing and as and virtual care generally as a specialty. Wonderful interview. Can't wait for you all to hear it. That's coming up in a little bit. But before we kind of get in that, we have a really exciting new game that we're going to play today that I'm I'm really eager to get started with you. But Before any of it, you were someplace really spectacular recently. I'm hoping you can give us, you were at Epic's user group meeting, otherwise known as Epic UGM. What was that like? I was. It was amazing. This is my second year going to UGM. I actually presented on some of my work with uh, Dr. Nathan Young. And I feel like it's kind of like Disneyland for health tech nerds. I mean, If you've never been to the Epic campus, it is a sight to see and an experience in and of itself. I mean, I could spend a whole week there and not even see everything there is to see. But I got my inaugural carousel ride in, which is like a must first stop for me. And aside from presenting with Nathan and networking with a lot of wonderful colleagues across the industry and and within my own organization, I learned some pretty exciting things that are on the horizon that Epic is working on in terms of its own EMR, but also with some strategic partners that it's engaging with across the industry. So I'm excited. I'm excited to share about that today. Yeah. yeah. So like, don't hold so, back. It's like, what were, what oh, did you take away what from the, the conference? Okay. So my top, top takeaway, I think my favorite moment was when Satya Nadella came out during the executive address. That was freaking amazing. Like everybody pulled out their phones, like they were at a Coldplay concert and they're like, oh my God, and they were just so stoked. But it was such like a, a strong signal from Epic that this, you know, this is happening. Like this, what they call the cornerstone partnership has been solidified for quite some time and it's going to be a game changer for Epic clients. And they proceeded to demo in their cool stuff ahead segment of the executive address, all this amazing stuff on their roadmap for generative AI applications and ambient AI applications in, in the health care industry. So I'll just highlight a couple of my faves. There were so many, it was like impossible to keep track, but definitely like top of the list is, you know, Microsoft nuance integration. They're not just working with Microsoft. They have essentially built a platform model where 
any vendor for ambient AI documentation can come and plug and play. At least that's that's how they're marketing it. So they highlighted some other strategic partners like a bridge, but it's not just ambient AI for provider documentation. They also highlighted some nursing documentation use cases like ambient. Yes, I know, especially for this episode, so relevant. Um, nurses document way more than physicians in many cases. And so there is an even greater need for ambient assistance in that space. And then some of my like, wow, uh, deer in the headlights, generative AI use cases that that I that we witnessed were chart summarization. So, you know, just in the sidebar of the patient's chart, show me in, you know, 100 words or less what's happened with this patient since I last saw them. Boom, you know, like summarize the phone calls, summarize the messages, all the encounters. What are the key points that are relevant? Dashboard summarization as somebody that's say, really into data analytics. I was going to ask, like, show me these three different findings on a longitudinal basis over the last whatever and graph that for me at this increment level. And let me see that. Right. I mean, that's the kind of right. stuff that I, I want to see in, in my in the EMRs. Well, and it also just democratizes, like having a, a large language model integration in Slicer Dicer, which is Epic's data analytics tool, really democratizes data analytics for anybody, right? So I can enter in a plain language query into the chat, and I don't have to have like this deep knowledge, this expertise of the data models behind it to get the query just right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was amazing to see. But even just like if, if my institution has a dashboard, let's say a social determinants of health dashboard um, or an air quality dashboard for my pulmonology practice, I can I can ask it to summarize the dashboard and tell me what are some areas where we're doing really well and where where is there opportunity for improvement? I mean, like you just wrote me an executive summary for my briefing with my boss, right? But on Obviously, top of that, it allows mm-hmm. for people to, to talk about democratization, right? It allows people to adjust those dashboards without any code to your point, right? So mm-hmm. say the dashboard already exists, I go and I save a copy and then I say, I want to add this parameter to it. And then you just have to ask it to do that, very similar to the Microsoft Copilot functionality that should hopefully be coming to small business users, Microsoft, if you're listening. You know, they can do that very quickly, very easily at the frontline level. You don't even have to open a ticket for IT. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's at least that's what they're touting. You know, it always takes time and then it, it takes multiple iterations to get it just right. But but some of this technology is, you know, we're on features doorstep, right? It's very exciting. Obviously, like there's a use case for auto-drafting patient message replies. So they demoed that. And that's functionality is already being piloted by some healthcare provider organizations that use Epic. Cyber threat detection was something that Satya detected. Uh, discussed, you know, leveraging large language models to detect cyber attacks, which is something that healthcare provider organizations, health systems have a huge stake in right now in figuring out low cost ways to keep their EMRs and their data safe and their patients safe. Um, So those are just some of the high level like Gen AI use cases that I thought were really cool. I mean, there were literally dozens I think there must have been 2,000 people at the Cool Stuff Ahead AI session. It was in this massive auditorium. So definitely the hot topic of the conference. Something else, though, that I feel like is worth mentioning that was I found that a lot of the sessions focused on social determinants of health and health equity more so than in previous years. Uh, That was a huge theme uh, in terms of provider organizations presenting their work. And it makes sense if you think about 
the new CMS and Joint Commission roles that are that took effect in 2023 or are about to take effect at the beginning of the new year. And many organizations are having to figure out ways, having to innovate, figure out ways to systematize their SDOH data collection and establish a robust closed loop model with their strategic community partners that are addressing these social needs in the communities in which they operate. So like there's a real business imperative, a regulatory and a financial one to start addressing SDOH and health equity. And I, for one, am really grateful for that. So that was cool to see. My last highlight of the 14,000 people that were at this conference, which that number was just shocking to me, but not surprising when I think about the number of people that were trying to get like coffee at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I happened to run into my cousin who is in the parking lot of all places, you know, like randomly, I heard my name called and I look up and there's my cousin, Sean. I'm like, what the heck? I haven't seen him in a couple of years. And he's a physician at Centricare just outside St. Cloud uh, in Minnesota, where I live. And he's also their director of population health. So he was, he was at the conference trying to learn about Epic's new tools for managing patient populations and also leveraging like cheers and campaigns functionality to automate a lot of that patient outreach. Yeah. For closing some care gaps. That's um, (laughs) closing some care gaps like a boss, like a boss, ABC, (laughs) always be closing care gaps. Honestly, it's an event that I look forward to every year. And I'm grateful that I work within a team where academic output and scientific publication is just like part of the job expectation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so we always have an opportunity to go to UGM and speak because there's always something to share out that we've learned, you know, good, the bad, the ugly about our work. And it's great because it's like, you know, it's an excuse to go to adult Disneyland for health tech nerds and ride a big glittery banana yeah. and eat well, amazing food. It's like they have this tent that can fit 40 or 14,000 people and they filled a, a giant homemade, like handmade tree house in it. And there were all these pirates walking around and you can take selfies with them. And I mean, it just, it was nuts. They had like a shaved ice truck and like some llamas it was just like, well, who even comes up with this stuff, right? <laughs> okay. New York's hottest party is the Epic UGM. You've never seen Okay, I am not following you, dude. <gasps> this is, but I, if it's funny, I want, I'm, I'm in. All right, I will send you a clip to Stefan, but that's what okay, it sounds please. like. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stefan. It has everything. <laughs> Shaved ice truck, llamas. <laughs> yeah. Last pirates year they had that you can take selfies with. they had a bouncy castle this year which Mm -hmm. i was like okay first of all it was 110 freaking degrees out there was like this massive heat advisory so i was like "Mm, no (laughs) but it did look you know i sort of had fomo and watching all the sweaty people like rub up against one another in the bouncy castle and i'm like how many of you are cios and ctos of your organization i just want to know it's like band camp, you know, for adults, <laughs> so for adult nerds. Let's move on from one TLA, UGM, yeah. to some more TLAs. I know oh, how I much love you love TLAs. TLAs. I get yeah. so excited about TLAs. Do you want to introduce the game, Elliot? Uh, sure, listeners? I will, yeah. So listeners, we have a fantastic game that we're going to play because we love three-letter acronyms so much here at Tech It to the Limit. 
And in the healthcare industry. (laughs) And in the healthcare industry, that's for sure. I I used to be an administrative assistant, Sarah, and Mm. I was the administrative assistant to the CIO and the CNO very, very early on in my career. And I started and then kept for the next 15 years an Excel spreadsheet of three-letter acronyms that I needed to keep track of, both within the organization, but in healthcare in general. And unfortunately, I have since lost that document and I don't know where mm. it is anymore. It makes me very the upset. The lost but scroll. It is. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, but we love TLAs so much here at Tech at the Limit that we decided we were going to play a game about it. So we came up with a game that we're calling Guess the Acronym Meaning Exactly or Game. Game. <laughs> so well, how does this game work, Sarah? Okay, so we're going to take turns, Elliot and I are going to take turns lobbing health tech-related TLAs at one another and trying to stump our opponent. The TLAs are going to get progressively more challenging as the game goes on. We're going to play for up to six rounds. I don't know how long this will go. We might cut ourselves off, but we're going to shoot for six because it's a multiple of three, just like (laughs) a TLA, right? Most importantly, how do you win? Because we both love winning, right? That's right. And competing. So so we can each earn three points per correct answer, but true to the name of the game, you have to guess the acronym meaning exactly. There's no partial credit. This is an AP course. It needs to be perfect. Okay, so so that's how we score, right? And then and then what's at stake? Like Elliot, tell our listeners, like yeah, if when I win, what are you gonna do for me? <laughs> Well, I it has to be digital because you're in Minnesota and I'm in New Jersey. So uh, we are going to sacrifice ourselves on the altar of humility. The loser will have to express their admiration through a haiku on LinkedIn. Oh, but what is special about this haiku, Elliot? What, but what unlike, yeah, unlike our normal haikus, you cannot use ChatGPT to create Mm. this haiku. It must be from the heart, from the human heart. All right, are we ready to start? I am so excited to start, I cannot wait. Okay, I have a rule in my family that New Jerseyans go first. So I (laughs) I love this rule, that's great. I would like you to decide if you want to quiz me or if you want to be quizzed. I'm gonna give you the first acronym. Mm, Now remember, they get progressively harder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Now, and you can ask to use the acronym in context. Oh my God, this is a freaking spelling bee or what? I'm just saying. <laughs> can you, know, you use that in a sentence? What's the origin of the acronym? I believe the it originated <laughs> in meaningful use. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready for your first right, one? I'm gonna lob one up for you. Oh, you're gonna Wait. lob one up for me. Oh, I thought you wanted to be quizzed first. I don't understand New Jerseyan, apparently. <laughs> hey, yo, uh, hey, I'm going to give you the first. Hey. Yeah, you don't budge in line. <laughs> Get to the back of the line. <laughs> okay. That's not bad, right, for a Midwestern person? It's <laughs> not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. <laughs> oh, God. Hey. All right. The shame. All right. Go. You ready for your first one? I'm ready. FFS. Fee for service. Uh, right off the bat, she gets it. Woohoo! Oh, that was okay. easy. That easy. Was easy. Okay. I do appreciate that you gave me that easy peasy. I will give you a similar one back. Right, right? 
All right, you ready for your first one? I am. Do it. Okay. E E G. Electro. This is not an electrocardiogram. That's an ECG. Um, electroencephalogram. Did I get it? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, man. Yes. Oh, I got a side ache from celebrating. <laughs> I'm a runner. How can that even possibly happen? I am so proud of you. Although I shouldn't be rooting for you because I want to win. Uh, okay, you're, you're tired. going down. You're going down. Oh, wait, okay. Let's review that. Let's review the score for the listeners since we've been talking like up a storm here. What's I do believe. We are tied at three points each. I do believe you are correct, good friend. Awesome. All right, hit me with hit me with your next shot. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. RTM. Remote therapeutic monitoring. Boom shakalaka. Okay, that's amazing. Three points for moi. Okay, PHR. Personal health record. Good job, Edge. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. this is too fun. So good at Honestly, this. Honestly, I really hope everyone else is having as much fun as we are. How could they not? That's Round you. two, we are tied 6-6. Six, six. Now, this one I had to deal with a lot when I was working in the provider world. Mm, okay, thanks for the clue. POS. Ooh, ooh. Oh, my God. Point of sale? Because that's service industry. What is it? Personal Place of service. Place of service. Barf. Okay, oh, my fine. God. The, the amount of trouble wah, wah. POS codes gave to telemedicine. Oh, duh. Yeah. Because it's like a level of service thing, right? It's oh, a no. billing thing. You know, it is. It's not a level yeah. of service, but it's a it's a modifier on your code that you had to get right. Like Medicare used the POS code for this and that. Anyway, I don't want to get into it. It brings me back nightmares. Jerks. Jerks. Total jerks. So that's a big <laughs> goose right. egg for Sarah. Mm. All right. I've got one for you. Hit me. <laughs> C P. O-E. Oh, computerized physician order entry. Okay, fine. Dang it. Good job. Yes, come on. I was. I don't want to have to write a poem, especially not New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the um, score is nine, nine, Elliot, six, Sarah. I'm mm. sorry. Could you say? Could you say that one more time? I couldn't hear you. Nine, mm. Elliot. Six, Sarah. So an inverted nine. Technically, we're tied. <laughs> Mine's just upside down. <laughs> All right. That's why. Um, that's why you're so good at your job. It's the creative thinking. All right. Are you ready for your next TLA? I'm ready to win. Yes. T A W. T A W. What the bleep? T A W. Okay. I I feel like I'm allowed. One hint, Regis. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't he like that? Is that your final answer? <laughs> oh my God, I love you. Okay. Um, <laughs> is this a health tech acronym or a healthcare acronym? It is a health tech acronym. T-A-W, okay. It's like, all right, here, I'll, I'll use it in a sentence. Okay. Oh, please, thank you, Judge. Okay. I can't wait for TAW this September. So it's a conference. <laughs> Maybe. 
<laughs> oh god, this is impossible. Uh, total appliance warehouse. <laughs> okay, there's like inaud- there's like inaudible laughter coming from the screen. Uh, it's a that's a goose egg on that one. I'm sorry. Uh, it is oh. telehealth awareness week. Oh, for God's sake, Sarah! I was invited to be a panelist for crying out loud. <laughs> Dang. Okay. All right. That means um, it's Elliot's turn. That's right. This is where I'm I pull ahead. Really hard one. Yeah. This is where I put much. some distance. Okay. All right. What's a PAX? P A C S. Okay. I might need to sound it out. So I'm gonna. You have to wait till I give you my final answer on this one. Okay. But I can right. do the Regis voice. You're really good at that. Oh my gosh! You know what's so funny? When I was looking at acronyms, I was like, "Oh, can I? Should I use PAX? PAX is a pretty hard one, but now I can't remember it. Patient acquisition communication system. No, patient. Ah, darn it! I don't know. I forgot. Pasta addicts craving spaghetti. <laughs> you mean my kids? <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. Pancakes Did and chocolate you- syrup. Oh, yum. No, it was gross. I was going to say chocolate chips. Okay. Picture archive. Archive and communication system. Yeah. Yeah. This is a game. Guess acronym meaning exactly. So zero points for Elliot. That's a goose egg. It's a goose egg. Oh, you don't like it when I say that, do you? No, I don't. I get really (laughs) defensive. Okay. All right. So that score Uh, is. So that was no, no score on that round. So the score is nil nil, as they say in Ted Lasso land. That's right. Nine to six. So I'm still in the lead here. Yeah, but you're slowing down. Oh, right. Okay. We have two rounds left. Are you ready for your next one? Yes, I'm ready. Go. MUA. Oh, oh, ah. You should know this. I should know this. Medically underserved area. She's back on the board. All right. I didn't forget about you, rural America and urban America. <laughs> and America. Just America. <laughs> yeah, can we just say we're a medically underserved country? A must. We're a muck. <laughs> the Canadians are laughing at us right now. But right. they're laughing in line, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're sorry about it. And they're sorry. They are. They're so nice. That's so nice. Okay, okay. Woohoo! Nice, nice work. Nice work. Catching up. Okay, you go, man. Oh, wait, I go. Okay, ICD 10. Do you want me to use that in a sentence? Institution uh, for codifying diagnostics 10. <laughs> <laughs> to the power of 10. Oh, was I close? No, not even. Yeah, International Classification of Diseases, 10th edition. I was close. Maybe you should go back to, like... This is so exciting. What? We're tied. We are. And it's the final round. It's the final round. Lightning bolts all around. So we are tied Uh, up nine to nine after five mm -hmm. rounds. Mm -hmm. It's all coming down to the last TLA. Are you ready for your TLA? I'm ready. You can cut the suspense. Let's go. SBH, are you ready? Ooh, Sarah Beth Harper. <laughs> yeah, there I it win. is. Oh. Here. 
There it is. You ready? Mm-hmm. EOC. POC, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Like P is in pudding. That's right. O is in ocular. Pudding on the counter. P is... That's right. POC. Got it. Okay. Okay. POC. A POC. A point of care. Mm. No, no, you already did. You already did that one. No, I did point of I did place of service. But... For gosh sakes. It is proof of concept. Oh, for God's sake, that's a business term. <laughs> okay, but health tech vendors all the time have to give up free stuff to healthcare providers that demand to do a proof of concept. You are bending the rules, good sir. I <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm giving you a zero on that. But one. you are from big Jersey, zero. so I expected some corruption and cheating. Whoa! Yeah, shots fired across the You want me, you want me to, like pay some taxes for your bridge next? <laughs> <laughs> uh oh do i need to call your husband <laughs> medic basement studio oh stat oh that's good so no i'm sorry Medical it's not alert. point of care it is proof of concept it's also point of care okay like well, let's let's just we can do an audience poll <laughs> All right, that's fine. They can call eight six seven five three zero nine if they think I deserve a point. <laughs> please do, do. please okay. call that number. All right, all right. I'm I'm pulling Hit out me. the big guns. All right. Oh man, oh man. CRISPR. Nobody knows what CRISPR stands for. No one knows what no Chris. Nobody really understands what CRISPR even does. Well, yeah. It's how you make humanoid lizards, right? All right, so some gene editing. Make chicken nuggets um, really good. <laughs> CRISPR, 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 CRISPR. There's no chance I'm gonna I'm gonna know what CRISPR okay, fully stands for. The audience is dying to know what CRISPR. your CRISPR. Guess is. CRISPR, 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 CRISPR. I mean, it actually Computer sounds like something you would say. Computerized rearrangement of innate specialized phenotypes. For regeneration. That is a, a good D plus effort. That Elliot. is a bunch of words. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> here we go. It stands for clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats. It's a revolutionary gene editing technology. Well, I know what it is. I know, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. So we're tied, which means that we have to profess a, our undying love for one another each. I love how this ended. LinkedIn. Yeah, I know. Me too. Because everyone's a winner. We're all millennials. That's right. We're going to get participation trophies for this game. He's coming back. It's like a theme in our show. I, you know how our, we're all special. Yeah. Well, can I confess something? Mm-hmm. I, maybe I rigged the game because you, I knew that whether you guessed point of care or proof of concept, I was going to tell you it was the other one. What? Oh, my gosh. What are you, like, Chris Christie's nephew? That's, oh, that's, I mean, that's some strategy right there. That is your specialty. Right? Well, I mean, like, like, you probably really good at risk. Yeah. Well, like Tom Brady, I didn't want to get deflated. Wah, wah. Wah. <laughs> oh my gosh but this is fun this was i this enjoyed was that great. and no one lost like a limb that's right all of our technology is still plugged into the wall mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't so, harbor any know, ill will toward you at all for giving me ICD-10 and CRISPR, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you gave me the double entendre POC, so we're even. <laughs> well, I know you're just going to walk away calling me a POS from now on. There you go. Well, I don't know about you, but I could really use a break right now. That was an intense game. I need to go, like, meditate, come down from the adrenaline rush, maybe grab a snack. Some lavender aromatherapy just to calm myself. But while we do that, why don't we hear a message from our incredible sponsors? Stick around. We'll be right back. Attention, healthcare heroes. We know you're busier than a toilet paper manufacturer in a global pandemic. And finding time for a coffee break can be about as rare as nabbing a close-up parking spot when you're late for your shift. But fear not, because we've got the prescription for your sleep deprivation. Introducing Cafe IV, the instant pick-me-up you need to power through your next graveyard shift. Just perform hand hygiene, insert the IV, and fill your veins with the unadulterated elixir of life. In no time, you'll be charting, rounding, and chest bumping with the energy of a thousand battery-operated pink bunnies. Say goodbye to lukewarm brews and irritable moods. With the Cafe IV, you'll never have to pinch yourself awake again during a procedure. To experience the Cafe IV difference, go to java.plugin, enter the promo code BOLUS for half off your first order. Cafe IV, wake up instantly or get your money back. Not recommended for use on children or unusually upbeat colleagues. Instrument sterilization kit not included. Side effects include good mood, alertness, tolerance for annoying behaviors, hyperactivity, and insomnia. Do not use Cafe IV more than 24 times in a 24-hour period. Welcome back to Tech It to the Limit listeners. Please join me in welcoming Sarah Bell, Vice President of Customer Success and Clinical Implementation at Bioformis. Known behind closed doors as the Ms. Miyagi of virtual care, Sarah has skills that make CIOs blush and health tech startups swoon. Not content with mere singular mastery, Sarah holds two master degrees, one in nursing science and one in healthcare administration. After 16 years of training at both the bedside and the boardroom dojos, Sarah also sports a black belt in virtual care program design and deployment. A prolific author and documentarian, Sarah is the lead author of the best-selling Encyclopedia Beltanica on change management prescription and is rumored to be working on a Netflix documentary about the intriguing past of my esteemed co-host, Sarah Harper. Sarah Bell's latest publication, How to Deploy EICU, Virtual RN, Remote Patient Monitoring, and Home Hospital Programs for Dummies, hit shelves and airwaves in August. Word on Beverly Hills Boulevard is that agents repping Morgan Freeman and James L. Jones are locked in a bidding war to record the audiobook narration of Sarah's latest book, and that has impacted the release date a little much to the chagrin of her loyal virtual care disciples such as we. So put your hands together 
bow respectfully, kowtow, and prostrate thyself before the honorable master of virtual nursing and keeper of the sacred transformative power, Mistress Sarah Bell. May I call you Sarah? Well, you can call me Sarah. Yes, absolutely, Elliot, Sarah. Happy to be here. Thank you. So excited to have you on the pod, Sarah. All right. We know that you listen to all our episodes, just like everybody else out there in the health tech world. Can't get enough of Tech It to the Limit. So, you know, we, we like to kick things off on the pod with your favorite dad joke. So would you do us the honor of, of presenting us with your favorite dad joke? I will do you the honor. I don't do dad jokes. So you're, you're I'm going to oblige you with a dad joke that I Googled quickly because I don't have a book of them. So here it is. Ready? Why didn't the skeleton go on the roller coaster? He didn't have the guts. Yes. Dang. Come on, Elliot. (laughs) The easiest one. You know, what he does instead of reading, you know, literature, he just Googles dad jokes all day. That's right. It's um, it's William Shakespeare's abridged and then dad jokes. So I have time for dad jokes. You're so cultured. Very, so much so. Sarah, we are honored that you are our first nursing leader that has joined us on Tech It to the Limit. And so we're actually really excited to have an episode focused on nursing. So before we kind of dive into the really cool, fun tech parts, I want to hear about your background in nursing. Can you tell us about your career in nursing? What led you to the innovative thought leader that you are now? How did that develop over time? Oh, that's a great question. And I'm honored that I'm your first nurse. Nurses are so important. And we are a, a group today that is, you know, trying to come out of COVID and figure out who we are again. COVID has fundamentally changed the way we do everything in healthcare. And I think our nursing teams have taken a great hit and what a great just profession to be in during this transformative time. So I, uh, my mom was a nurse, so I grew up with a nurse in the household, really in high school, back when we used to be able to job shadow, I feel like that doesn't exist anymore, but uh, job shadowed some health careers, it was a health careers class, and uh, the nurse was just one that, that resonated with me, and so I decided to go to nursing school, and the funny thing about life as you guys can appreciate, you always end up somewhere you didn't think you would be, just when you think you have it planned out, you're going to end up somewhere else. I thought that I would be a nurse and I would uh, stay at the bedside or or be a nurse practitioner or something, you know, the rest of my life. And that was going to be it. But fun fact about me is when I was in elementary school, I went to Catholic school and I drove them crazy. Um, (laughs) Because that explains a lot, Sarah. it, It should explain a lot because I just can't take no for an answer. It's a thing. It's should you do something this way? Um, how how does it have to go? And and when you hear no, when I hear no, I always think, well, how do I make this a yes? What can I do to get it to be a yes? So that does not I, fit in well with Catholic school. And it does not. Uh, we parted ways in sixth grade. I went to public school. In my nursing career, that has you know kind of how I ended up. I would say largely in this position, working for a healthcare tech company called Bioformis, and really hopefully on on that brink of changing the way that we care for patients and bringing in digital health solutions to help our nurses have a sustainable work environment. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to do. Um, I started my nursing career at Mayo Clinic. I was there for 18 years. 
I went from staff nurse to ICU nurse to charge nurse to nurse manager starting the EICU to nurse administrator coming into remote patient monitoring home hospital space to starting our virtual nursing program. And I think the whole reason that I ended up doing those things is because I didn't take no for an answer. There is there, I've always been driven by there has to be a better way to do this. There has to be a, a, a different way to do this. How do we do this? And so that has gotten me here. It didn't serve me well in Catholic school, but it, it serves me well today. You're a serial innovator. I love it. Welcome home. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's awesome. So it's kind of panning out a little bit. That was, that was an excellent insight into your own personal experience. But if we zoom out a little bit and kind of think about nursing as a, as a uh, profession nationally and globally, can you sh- share some insights on how virtual nursing specifically has evolved in recent years and what role it plays in the future healthcare landscape? Much like AI, it existed before all the hype started two years ago, right? I'm sure virtual nursing was out there in in the space in some capacity, and it's just interest has exploded recently. So I wonder if you can give us some insights on in, in, in how that's evolved. You're right. Virtual nursing and that the art of kind of being a, a nurse virtually has always been there in some way, whether it be nurses using telephones to triage patients or evolving into, you know, video visits. Um, EICU was a first adopting practice of having this command center approach where experts are sitting in there and deploying care um, outside of the command center. And where we're at now is an alarm. We must care for patients differently. We must provide different ways for nurses to work because working at the bedside, working in person all the time is hard. Our patients have gotten sicker. They've gotten more complex. We are asking the nurses to do more. There's less workforce. And that is a just a recipe for burnout. And so right now we are at a, a pivotal moment in healthcare where having virtual nursing, I think will single-handedly save the profession. This is how we keep nurses. This is how we keep experience at the bedside, albeit virtually, but they are there to to help and mentor and support the next round of nurses coming in. And this is the time for institutions, for organizations to deploy this as a recruitment, as a retention uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome. I think back to some of um, some early remote patient monitoring programs that I was working on in the early teens, you know, focused in home health agencies, kind of like, as you mentioned, right, that did a lot of work very early on on CHF patients, hypertension patients, et cetera. And it was very insular. But that was, I mean, it was care management virtually. It was it was nursing care management virtually. And I love the fact that you've called out that we've been doing this since the telephone. When we talked about telemedicine for years and years in the policy world, we talked about doctors having done telemedicine ever since the telephone was invented. And I love the recognition that, yeah, nurses have been doing that too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's taking on a different way now, right? Working for a healthcare tech company, I can speak to the fact that we're deploying different types of solutions to help enable the virtual care teams be efficient at their at their jobs. Biometric devices that can feed us data, video, chat messaging. You know, our patients now expect a different kind of care. 
they are evolving to wanting care when they need it, where they need it. That doesn't always mean going to a hospital or going to a clinic. They want access. I can pick up my phone and I get instant access to anything I need. Healthcare can be that way. We can enable things like that. And then in the tech world, that's happening now in the staffing world and in staffing these solutions, allowing these pathways for clinicians to work, to have reprieve from the bedside. I think that's kind of the marriage that's going to take all of this into the next level. Yeah, great points. Let's let's broaden the the scope of what we can do with these kind of tools. And I want to talk about the idea of this command center model that is gaining steam everywhere. Different organizations call it different things, right? Care command center or care Care traffic control, I think one organization calls Care Galactica. Care Galactica, yes, absolutely. So the Care Legion of Doom. The the whole model, that command center model, is really gaining traction. And so from your perspective now in in a digital health company, how does the health tech industry contribute to making that an optimized model? Right. What what is health tech bringing to that that wasn't already there that's allowing for that real primordial soup to turn into life? Ooh, that's a great question. So command center, that is that is the the buzzword. Right. And it can mean many different things. To me, when we say a command center, we mean we're centralizing data points for clinicians or staff to make decisions about patients. And I think there's an important differentiation here. That does not mean we're all sitting in the same room. There is a power in being remote and allowing remote um, models of care where you can utilize clinicians wherever they're at. It helps you tackle time zone issues or people who are across the world. You know, we can be working during the day rather than during the night. So there is um, when I think about a command center, it's about centralizing data in a platform utilizing AI or other types of algorithms to help determine patients who are deteriorating them. And then it's marrying that information with the EHR data that's giving us kind of that whole picture of the patient to make decisions and to provide care. So in the health tech space and at Biopharmas in particular, we are taking that data and we are having a data lake. We're bringing data in, all the information in from patients, from vital signs, from biometric devices, questionnaires, PROs, and able to run that type of data through algorithms, have a bank of data to help design the future algorithms, the future of how um, we provide care to patients. We are too reactive today in medicine. We get data and we make a decision. Where we need to be is we need to know what's going to happen two hours from now, what's going to happen four hours from now. And having a virtual workforce that can take those early warning scores, those other algorithms, and deploy resources to the patient wherever they may be is quickly approaching. And that's what's really exciting. Like, you know, there's a lot of players in the space that are getting to that point. That's how we move healthcare, predicting when you're sick, not reacting to it. I love it, Sarah. So that's actually kind of leading into the next question. I think Um, you you mentioned the centralization model is really more data centric and less people centric. And, And the advantage that gives you as an employer is it broadens your recruitment pool, right, for talent. And and I know you've spoken on this uh, topic in in many public forums and and academic um, conferences. So kind of that that leads me to ask you to kind of meditate and share your wisdom on how we continue to build a strong workforce pipeline and not just build the talent of the future, but like plug the leaks in the pipeline 
or as Elliot likes to say, like, how do we keep the apex predator nurses and their knowledge and skill set from being lost to the field, right? So can you kind of elaborate based on your experience on like what the multifactorial approach needs to be to train, recruit, and retain top tier nursing talent in tomorrow's healthcare world? So the workforce has rapidly changed say what you want about millennials, but they they are here and they are telling us what we need. They are telling us and this we can is how dance. and yeah, millennials just, can dance. Yes, we can. And and we just want to point out that we are very millennial positive here on this podcast. Well I'm an older millennial. millennial. I don't know what that means, but I can agree. No, we are we are elder, too. elder millennials. Yeah, elder. We're elder millennials and that's the that is the tone we are going for here on this podcast. So like right is. But millennials, the newer kind of generations on the workforce have come in and said, I, I don't wanna work eight to five Monday through Friday and bring my lunch in a lunch pail and take a one 30 minute break. I don't want to do that. I I want to do a little bit of this one day. I want to do a little bit of that the next day. I want to try this something new. I want to be able to grow. I want to be able to evolve my skill set over time. And that is a a vast difference from uh, older generations who would come into a career and and stay in it their entire, you know, 40 years of work. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's our job to say to respond to the demands of the workforce because we're not going to have a workforce and we have to create flexible work environments for staff coming in. So nursing is no different. Staff have come in. They want to spend more time with family. They they don't want to work nights. They want flexible hours. They want to be able to take PTO. I, th- I think since pandemic times, we've had a rude awakening that life is more important than work. And these are the repercussions of that awakeness. I've had that my own kind of transformation in that, and that's okay. So what virtual care can do is help us expand and provide that flexibility needed. You can work remote certain days or all the time. You can live in Iowa and work for a health system in New York and not have to upend your family for a job. You can remotely kind of centralize your experience and keep that experience at the bedside virtually, but providing that ability for mentorship and knowledge transfer to more novice staff. You can keep nurses at the bedside and working and not stressed and burned and and not able to kind of provide care anymore. So this allows us a way to do that. And then I think that flexibility will in turn allow nurses to flex in and out of it. So maybe I want to go into work and work some days. Maybe I want to work virtually other days. It really allows for that flexibility. Um, and I, I think that's that's why I say this is the key to the future. This is why we should be deploying these types of solutions and these types of staffing models, because you can staff then all of your virtual care programs, your EICU, your remote patient monitoring, your home hospital, your virtual RN, whatever you want to call all those programs need to be powered by virtual care staff. Virtual care is a specialty. You become really good at a specialty. You become very efficient when you have specialty staff working in that area. So calling it, you know, a specialty and allowing workforce flexibility, I think, is a real critical uh, maneuver for retention, for recruitment from outside of your catchment areas. And I think that's what's going to power, you know, on any healthcare profession moving forward. Mic drop. Yeah, so... (laughs) Like your your music to my ear. Virtual care is a specialty. Love it. I I love it. And it's because 
and you'll have subspecialty in within there, mm-hmm. right? You, Absolutely. Or, you know, you'll have your, whomever, your virtual nursing versus your population health nursing that's managing, Correct. you know, 300 patients on their panel, um, you know, depending on their risk levels. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I think that's fabulous. And it's be, it's by combining all those different programs that you develop whatever version of a command center is meaningful for you as an organization, right? And so not every command center is going to look the same because not every organization looks the same. You might not provide, it, it all depends on your organizational strategy, your organizational populations and so on and so forth. One other thing I wanted to say about when you consider virtual care a specialty and by by owning that statement and saying, okay, we're going to recognize virtual care as a specialty, you become very efficient and and can use a more efficient use of resources for virtual care. Because what do people always say? Well, we we can't invest in virtual care because we need people at the bedside caring for patients. I understand that and I understand we're in a shortage, but if we consider virtual care specialty, we can do the virtual care very efficiently. So we're not sucking up a lot of resources to do that. Two, our patients are going to have a seamless experience in that space. They're going to have consistent ways that they're receiving care from virtual care teams. They're going to have a consistent approach. And then bringing in the specialty cancer, cardiology, ICU to consult or provide that expert opinion as needed is going to be a more efficient way of having a virtual care program. And you're right, Elliot, the command center then is the data and the aggregation we do of data, whether it's continuous or episodic or labs or, you know, biometric, whatever it is, viewing it, allowing the view for clinicians to be efficient is kind of that sweet spot. And it's hard to do, but when done, can be very efficient and a very sustainable way to go about it. Yeah, Sarah, you're basically telling the story or describing like, what's the opportunity cost of not investing in this right now, right? You talk about, well, we need nurses at the bedside, but what happens if you don't deploy capital on this strategic initiative? You're going to quickly become irrelevant as an organization, right? Or so you're going to crafting perspective. Just- yeah, exactly. Like your your model's not going to serve the patient need and it's not that you're not going to be able to recruit and retain staff. So yep. it's a difficult decision, but you have to plan that into your, you have to put that in your financial plan. Right. And and we know that every nurse that turns over is roughly fifty-five to seventy-five thousand dollars lost. So think about it. You have a turnover rate of 15% and you tie fifty-five thousand on the low end per turnover quickly have your investment that you avoid, you know, that you decided not to do in virtual care, in some infrastructure, in some, you know, AV equipment, in some platforms that can do that. And you've retained a workforce that is retained knowledge, that's retained experience, and that is creating stability for your physical patients. Applause, reaction, emoji. That's what I'm doing for our listeners who can't see me right now. Going back to, I love this concept of virtual nursing as a specialty or virtual care as a specialty. Is it being taught as such to new nurses coming out of school as a specialty, or is it just sort of like a bolt on you kind of get as part of your senior sim? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and it is today a bolt on, right? We've innovated quickly um, I'd like to say that academia is m- malleable and can move quick in their curriculum, but but they can't. And 
in all fairness to academia and not teaching it, we don't have a lot of experts in the space to build a curriculum. It's so new that we don't have a lot of standard rules to li- live by. I think we have some tried and true principles. But yes, many, many students are getting that first taste of virtual care, or what it's like to have the assistance of a virtual care team member, potentially in clinicals, but mainly when they're off orientation, if they happen to be at a facility that has a service line. So it's certainly a gap. There are programs that are starting to offer some classes. There are um, healthcare institutions that are doing some summer internships that might allow for, you know, students to shadow a virtual nurse, but we're very much on that beginning edge of that. I don't know. We were able to score an expert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, not in academia. Some, uh, some pings on LinkedIn from nursing schools. I I, I predict. After I'm sure. Really I'm sure. Hey, you're you gonna, you're gonna become a virtual adjunct professor everywhere, Sarah. There we go. Well, uh, it's virtual, so I can do it anywhere. I don't. That's right. That. Is that adjunct at that point? Is it? I don't know. I, I don't know if it is. I think it's Ms. Miyagi is what it is. <laughs> Ms. Miyagi. In the virtual dojo of right. virtual RN. Making, yeah, you, making them all paint the fence. Right. <laughs> yes! <laughs> kind of moving on to the next question here. Nursing, we know, is a very dynamic field. It has varying demands on our nurses, many of which we talked about already here tonight. How can industry leaders, and we're talking about the provider industry leaders, use transformational nursing productivity tools to adapt and stay ahead of these changes? And and here's why I ask that, right? We, we I mentioned it earlier, we've given a lot of deference to physicians and physician extenders over the years on providing clinical productivity tools. So we're now in this space with the advent of generative AI and so many other tools, how are they being applied to the nursing profession? Is there equity in clinical productivity distribution with other clinicians, or is it still the same story? Ooh, fantastic question. So today, in general, uh, we do not have tools for nurses to dictate. I mean, you can, but I, I think where we're trying to go or where we need to go as a profession, and how do we, and you kind of hit on this, Elliot, how do we have tools that can track or let us kind of document in the moment. That's one way. Productivity is so important to hospitals, is so important to, you know, tracking the finances. And I understand why that's the case, but I, I do feel like we are in a little bit of a new era where we don't have enough staff to begin with. We're already really short. Uh, being really tight on some of these productivity metrics might not be the best way to go about it. I do think that AI and the ability to leverage kind of large language models to help serve up the next best thing as nurses, even as providers, we spend a a ton of time searching for our resources. What's the protocol to do this? What's the way that I have to do this? How do I look up all this stuff? We're always searching for something. So how do we use the large language models, the chat GPTs? Uh, There's a company called Cordy that um, I'm just fond of that serves up the kind of model to sense what's next in the care first, you know, by looking at documentation, by listening to phone calls, by listening to video calls and serve up the next best thing and then learns as it goes. If we can be more efficient in this space, there's so much labor in caring for patients. If we can take out the documentation, the searching and just focus on the people, you're going to save more in burnout but you're also going to have a lot smarter health system that can eliminate error. 
so so I think and clinical vital. variation for sure and clinical and, variation. Thank you for that answer. I mean, that's spot on, I think, but uh, I'm not a nurse. And that's kind of what I meant from clinical productivity. And I think that is an important distinction that industry leaders need to be mindful of is that when we're talking about clinical productivity, we are not talking about financial productivity. Correct. That is not what we were talking about. We were talking about the ways to make clinicians, bedside care clinicians or website care clinicians more efficient in the things that are non-value add tasks that they have to do so that they can actually provide patient care. I don't see documentation and maybe I'm wrong and I feel free to disagree with me. Documentation in and of itself is not value add. It's not. It's It's how we bill. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. how we bill. It's archaic. It takes time. You are exactly right. The problem is we get in our own way, right? We we've we've created the beast as a healthcare system, uh, and it's going to be a hard thing to unwind, but certainly necessary. Yeah, it feels a little bit like one of those monsters when you chop off its head, it grows like three new ones. It's <laughs> probably an awesome Andrew? mythical name. Thank, thank you. See, I knew you would know what it was, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's one of Hercules' twelve labors. Yes. OMG. Love you so much. Okay. Moving on to the next question. I love asking questions like this and I know you're going to have an amazing answer, Sarah. Um, So in the context of technological advancements, how do we ensure that the human side of nursing, including compassion and patient-centered care remains a priority in the digital age? You said it yourself earlier in the interview that you're not even sure if like human to human nurse training happens anymore, right? Um, and so how do we preserve some of that mentorship and that human connection, not just between nurses at different points in their career, but also between nurses and their patients? I love this question because the number one pushback I get whenever, no matter when in my career, we've been trying to do virtual care or, or come up with some type of healthcare deployment of technology, it's patients don't want it. They want people. They, they don't want a, a robot or a chat bot or an unlicensed staff member. They want the nurse sitting at the bedside having that personal conversation. And I would say that that is wrong, that that's not what they want. They want the person at their bedside if they need to be there. They don't want the person at the bedside who's distracted because they have a million other things going on and there's call lights going on. They They want care the way they need it when they need it. That's what they want, because that's the most efficient way they're going to get care and they're going to get answers and it's going to move fast. If you require a person to do everything or if you require me to walk room to room rather than be on video and go room to room, it's going to take way longer to receive care. And then the people who actually need care don't get it. So they don't want that. That's our excuse to to not innovate and to not press forward. It can be very human care. I want as a patient the care that I need when I need it whether it's a person or somebody on a video or a um, bot I, or a bot. Exactly. I want the kind of care I need when I need it. And if it was, re- if it requires that person, I want the person to be there, be skilled at what they do, have all the resources they need to do that and be there for me and not have to worry about a million other things that they're not getting to. Cause I need all their attention if they're there. Sarah, can you see the dent from the amount of times she's dropped the mic? Yeah, I I did hear a really loud thud uh, recently. I think I think you're giving Obama a run for his money. We're gonna have to make a Sarah Bell gif. (laughs) I like to get pragmatic. I like to get real with with folks. So 
So Sarah, with the rise of RPM and remote therapeutic monitoring too, and, and other kinds of virtual care models, what are some actual tangible things and considerations that healthcare organizations should be thinking about when when they're implementing these kinds of technologies? What are the what are the real lessons learned, or as we would call them, nuggets that you took away from your provider based career that you think our listeners will benefit the most from from hearing? I think the first thing that people get stuck up in is trying to design the perfect thing. So. Their barrier to entry into the space is I need to get this workflow beautiful and I need to think of everything that could go wrong and how I'm going to handle it and have a pathway for that. When in reality, even if you have the perfect thing, once you implement it, you just throw it out the door because you're going to change it as you go. So don't have that barrier to start. Just go start small and start. Jump over the hurdle and start. Things will evolve as you go. I think the other thing to consider that can be a mistake is having too many different tech stacks or vendors in the space. And that doesn't mean you can only use one because I, I don't think there's one inclusive vendor for inpatient and, and home care that, that can do everything. But be thoughtful about how much your virtual care teams have to interact with you know, from different vendors and different different things. So not saying it, it's only one, but but be mindful about having a platform that could do maybe uh, more things than just a few so that you can, you know, limit the amount of time your virtual care team members are going back and forth. And then really yeah. the third thing is is considering virtual care specialty. Double down, create a leadership structure for it, create the specialty for it, and that is going to create a unified practice that will pay dividends a couple years from now. I love all of those those nuggets. I I want to I want to go back to the second one you mentioned. The the well the first one around not designing the perfect thing and, and allowing from the get go for iterative innovation. I love that concept. The, the second one that you mentioned around not having too many vendors in the space. I really want to nail that one home for some of our listeners, especially in the technology space. That doesn't mean that you don't have more than one kind of technology. It means that you have the smallest technological footprint that serves your need. And, and if, I, if I'm not saying that correctly, um, let me, you know, let me know. But that's how I hear that. And and that is a that whole concept around platform versus point that leaders need to hear take a look at your inventory, your tech inventory, and look at it with a critical eye. Get out your big red pen. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. No, but I I, I think even, oh, go ahead, Sarah. A couple of thoughts there. And obviously I work for a healthcare tech company, Bioformis. So we have a platform that can serve remote patient monitoring, home hospital um, type of scenarios. And then what we've done is on that platform have built different biometric devices that can seamlessly integrate. So, you know, your continuous glucose, your episodic blood pressure, your continuous SpO2, your other types of devices to help bring all different types of patients to be able to be cared for on the platform, rather than the scenario of, I have this vended solution for this exact thing, I have this other vended solution for this exact thing, I have this for this exact thing. Again, 
having that platform concept and having devices that can connect in is going to take you further. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a few other vendors, you know, for the organization, your your main video vendor that plugs in your, your EHR is in patients' rooms. But looking, taking that platform approach that can offer up many different use cases is going to, I think, be cheaper, but is also going to help create efficiency with the, the staffing in virtual care. Yeah, 100%. Right. Oh, I'm like floored by how um succinct and clear you respond to questions there i like setting up our high i'm like yeah what she said okay let's move on amazing ditto uh ditto yeah same z's how do you see the role of virtual nursing evolving in the coming years and what trends should healthcare professionals be prepared for in this space i know you're a visionary so look into your crystal ball and tell us what we need to do now so we can be at the front of the pack tomorrow. This is great. And this is why Catholic school didn't like me because I'm a dreamer and I think about the future and how we need to get there. And that's my favorite spot to be. So the future is one amazing. If we can get on board with virtual care being a specialty and move that conversation forward, create workflows and platforms that can cater to the virtual care we don't need in the future is people who are physically providing care to patients and also doing some virtual care because you know what doesn't get done the virtual care and if you don't do the virtual care you're not being predictive you're not able to detect trends and move forward you are constantly in the past moment trying to save patients or help patients that are deteriorating so what we need to do is offload in-person people who are doing in-person care and not just tack on the virtual care piece to them, allow a virtual care specialty group to do the virtual care and then integrate AI and tools to help tell us, well, Elliot, in four hours, sorry, man, you're not going to be well, um, but don't worry because we know that. And this is what we're going to do to prevent you from getting ill. And these are the things that you can do to help us. And then what that means is you don't have to go to the hospital. What we can do is send things to your home that's going to keep you there because you're way more comfortable in your home. You have your family, maybe some pets. You know, that's way more comfortable than coming to see me in the hospital. You've already figured out all the allergens and all of the bacteria that lives there. Exactly. Can you eat your own food? I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think hospital food's the greatest. But but that's the future is utilizing our devices that we already wear every day, the rings. I love those things. I don't have one yet, but it's my next tech purchase. The Aura Ring, the whatever rings they have, the Apple Watches, the Fitbits, the Garmin's, patches, whatever it might be. We we all are walking sources of data and we can be feeding healthcare entities that data and we can have virtual care teams that get alerted of that data saying that Sarah's not going to be well tomorrow and we can deploy services to her home so she doesn't have to come to us. That's being really smart. And then who we only have in the hospital or in the clinic are the actual people who need to be there, which is who we want to see. And they want they need to be there. I don't need to be there if I'm if I'm well and can receive the care in my home. Can I get out of my value based care soapbox right now? Yes. And say we also need payment models that support the notion that the walking sources of data need to be paid attention to. True. Right. So we can prevent people from ending up in our four walls. There needs to be value in that space. There is value in that space. But um, I'd love to see more institutions uh, shifting faster in that direction. But the value in that space is is being consolidated into like major healthcare payer organizations. So don't my, get my dream. So sorry, sorry. 
<laughs> okay, okay. So, Sarah, I, I'm going to put you in the hot seat and say, what is the question that we in this industry, in the health tech industry, in the in the provider side of the industry, or any part of the healthcare industry, are not asking, but should be asking around nursing and technology? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think the question that I would ask is, why is virtual care not a strategy for you? Why do you not have a virtual care strategy deployed that can help recruitment, retention, and sustain your workforce? Why not? That's my question. Because there's only one Sarah Bell. <laughs> I, Were you no, going to give me the answer to that? No. Oh, I wish. I spent well. half of my career trying to evangelize for virtual care, telling people virtual care is not a selfish strategy. It is an enabler right. of your strategy just so I could get the pilot going. So like that's uh, I mean, but that. That's the thing that's happening right now, Elliot. You're exactly right. And I, I had years before the pandemic when I would do that, I'd be like, why not? And they're like, because we have enough people. Go away. You know, <laughs> it's fine. We don't need that. That's just nobody wants a computer in their room. You know, I mean, it's just been unbelievable as a, as a healthcare, you know, profession, what we have done to to um, not go in this direction. But the the beauty of COVID was that we learned really fast that when we all need to do something, we can do it and we can do it really fast. And um, that, I think, is showing a lot of people and getting people off the bench in this space. That's the pro the propeller we needed. And now we're being crippled with staffing shortages. So there, there's no other solution. Yeah. Well, people people have other solutions like paying paying staffing agencies to staff our hospitals. But those are people solutions that are not going it's to last a lifetime. Yeah, it's it's unsustainable. unsustainable. Exactly. When you ask that question, Sarah, which is somewhat rhetorical in nature, I, I envision you at the end of like a long marble table and like this person's walking feebly into an echoey hall and you're like, why is virtual care not a strategy for you? Like, go ahead and hit me with your best counter argument, right? And they're like, well, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Sorry. Go ahead. go ahead and wrap us up, Elliot. Sarah, thank you for that wonderful insight into nursing practice with technology. Very precious few folks in this country that have the, the experiential chops that you have in building these programs that we could bring on this. And I'm so glad that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for bringing this to our listeners. Oh, appreciate it. And I owe you guys, I don't know what I owe you for all the accolades and kind words, but thank you so much. It's been a blast. I'll take a craft beer on you. All right. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, it's been awesome to connect with you, Sarah. I echo everything Elliot said. And I would just add that what I've always loved about you is your vision too. You execute, but you're also thinking 10 years ahead of everyone else in the field. And so it's so fun to be around you and just, just talk, brainstorm and, and, and learn from your wisdom. So thank you. And we're clear. All right. That was, that was great. That was Tech It to the Limit is brought to you by iRelief, the smart bedpan that's pushing the boundaries of bathroom technology. Nano self-cleaning particles working their microscopic magic, ensuring no quantum pathogens escape your commode. 
For the extremely self-conscious patient, we've got the holographic privacy shield, which predicts upcoming deposits and deploys automatically around the hospital bed. To reduce the burden on clinical support staff, the iRelief patent-pending anti-matter disinfectant lets you send patient waste to a different dimension, leaving 90% less temporal slime than the other leading smart bedpans on the market. Tech It to the Limit subscribers have an exclusive offer when they purchase their first iRelief. Use phrase Tech Toilet at checkout to receive a complimentary subscription to John, the iRelief Emotional Support Conversational AI. Your patients can unload on John while using the iRelief for an additional emotional catharsis as they do their business. iRelief is not responsible for temporal distortion caused by interdimensional or intergalactic travel, gravitational condensation stemming from antimatter exposure, or any adverse effects due to the exposure of toilet-related puns. Use iRelief with caution and a sense of humor. iRelief. For when you need to go beyond the ordinary. Well, welcome back, folks. I hope everybody's feeling rejuvenated after their break and a message from our amazing real-life sponsors. Getting to the topic of today, I wanted to just thank Sarah Bell for her amazing conversation with us. It's always a joy to interact with her because she's such a visionary thinker and she stretches us to think beyond the limits of today. And she's an amazing name. So like immediate cred with me like yeah yeah i mean bell is a fantastic last name (laughs) yeah no it was an amazing conversation with her uh she was extremely dynamic it was great to hear such a an innovative nursing voice so glad that we had her on the pod hey yeah did you happen to put anything in the air fryer when you were on break just a small little helping of nuggets Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm gonna chow down I love it. I had some really fun uh, learning nuggets to come out of this conversation with Sarah. There were just so many here, but narrowed it down to just a couple that I that I really thought were important. The first is I am going to send a care package of new floor tiles to Sarah so that she can replace the ones she broke dropping the mic that often. <laughs> nice. I mean, she had just... Some fantastic wisdom that I really hope our listeners homed in on. I thought that her comments on how COVID fundamentally changed nursing practice were were really interesting, both in terms of how care is provided, right? How clinical models have changed, how clinical workflow has changed, but also how just the nursing workforce, the 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 labor of nursing is changing, people leaving the profession for various different reasons, whether it be burnout or or what have you, right? So there is this perfect storm between how care is provided and who's available to provide that care that has really created the environment for innovation and given rise to this virtual nursing as a profession. So I thought that was cool. And how that virtual nursing can be used for recruitment and retention, taking the apex predators off the endangered species list and keeping them keeping them going and storing that institutional knowledge within the organization. Uh, some other nuggets here are so many. The value of virtual care as its own specialty I thought was really interesting, specifically how she focused in on how it 
drives efficiency and allows you to scale that model uh, due to that efficiency. And then furthermore, reducing overall clinical variability, which we know is such a huge driver of quality and economic outcomes for health systems. I, I really like that concept. And then finally, I I thought her comments toward the end uh, when we were discussing how we're using digital tools to to unwind the mess that we have created of healthcare with respect to like you know providing tools for to alleviate nursing documentation burden is just one of those challenges the healthcare system in general that we have to change that one of those generational challenges that we have to now take on and and not to get up on my not to get up on my gen y soapbox here but it's just another thing that millennials are going to have to fix as we come into power there's another generational change that we've now got to take on that's a whole nother podcast like, like we become the old crusty people in power is what you're saying that's right that's right where we cling to power until we become septuagenarians <laughs> Nice word placement. Nice. I love the nuggets. 100% agree. Stamp of approval. You know, you talked about getting Sarah some new tile for her flooring. I think we need to get her a book of dad jokes since she confessed to us she doesn't own one. I mean, like, who does? That's like saying I don't own, I don't know, the Quran, the Torah, like you insert biblical text, right? The sacred dad texts. Sacred dad text, right? No, in all seriousness, I have three nuggets for you. I'm going to try to keep it brief today. The command center model being more about data centricity than human centricity. Mm. Oh my God, blew my mind. Like, honestly, I confess, I've always thought of like command centers, a bunch of like really important (laughs) leaders sitting in a room looking at screens and like consulting one another, right? But she's like, no, they don't all have to be in the same place you dummy, (laughs) right? In fact, that's not what a command center model is at all. And it ties right into your nugget, which is that like virtual nursing is a strategic staffing strategy, right? You can leverage your nursing expertise wherever they are in the world. If you have a virtual nursing program and you centralize the data, you know, through a platform and boom, bada bing, you're like, you know, transforming healthcare. Mm. My next nugget, I love that she debunked the myth that patients only want in-person nursing care. I I admit I have not done like a lot of lit reviews on this topic. There might be some peer-reviewed publications on this, but I would love to see the evidence behind that because like that makes a lot of sense anecdotally in my brain. So that's like on my weekend to-do list is like go down that rabbit hole. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the way she described it, it's like, well, no, I'm not craving a robot to come take care of me, but I'm just fine having a robot get my laundry and bring me my hot meal if it means that when my nurse is with me, she's not going to be burned out or he's not going to be burned out and distracted. Like when I really need them, they're there and they're they're all, all there. Around, right. Right. All there. Oh, my gosh. Totally. That sounds like a way better model of care than than what we have today. Right. Not just from a patient experience and outcome standpoint, but from a nursing well-being standpoint. I was going to say the joy of practice. Right. Yeah. Um, So love that. Um, And then also like one that I've experienced personally in my own work, we need to take an honest look at our tech stack, like as a provider organization and ask ourselves, do we really need all these relationships? Right. Or like what maybe. What offerings are we not leveraging from some of our vendor partnerships already that we're essentially paying twice for? And then we have like administrative burden and tech redundancy 
And, and I think just like the key message is put your blinders on and try to avoid shiny object syndrome unless you have a specific problem that you're trying to solve for and your current tech stack doesn't have an offering, right? Yeah. Then you can take your blinders off and look at all the shiny objects at health or wherever you're going, right? But it's, it's, it's difficult, right? There's a lot, mm-hmm. there's so much startup activity. There's so many... I don't want to say people selling snake oil because that's not right. You know, I mean, people truly want to solve some of the biggest problems that our country and our our, our global community is facing today through technology. Um, I think there's, there's plenty of people out there trying to get their hands on some of that sweet, sweet venture capital dollars. Okay. And that's about I appreciate it. That. Uh, okay. Well, all you people, I'm wagging my virtual finger at you. Right. But but there are there's a lot of genuine passion in the startup community. There's no doubt, as you know. Right. And and they're all, you know, going to end up consolidating at some point anyway. So, you know, or or going belly up. (laughs) I. Oh, what? (laughs) Feel bad for them. Like, it's true. Yeah. Feel bad for them. Oh, you know, we don't feel bad for for businesses that go belly up. We're capitalists. So that's just the way it works. Skin your knee, get back up. You By the bootstraps. Quit crying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're all bootstrappers on this podcast. Okie dokie, artichokey. So those were my those were my nuggets. And you know, a little light meal of the today. Just got a kid size. Those, you know, they were tasty piece. though. They were really <laughs> yeah, tasty. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Came came with some side of sauce. Um, that was nice. Sauce. Uh, yeah, a little Casey barbecue. That's right. Cool. Little. little <laughs> Well, listeners, thank you so much for going down all of these uh, nugget taste testings with us, listening to our conversation with Sarah Bell from Bioformis. Thank you so much to Sarah for joining us today and really making us think about the amazing work that's being done by our nurses in our healthcare system. Sarah, I'm so glad we tied the game. It was amazing. (laughs) I know, I know that's not the outcome you were looking for, but I can't wait to hear your passion, passion filled haiku to me. It's going to be very exciting. Mm, Yes. Listeners, don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, Check us out there. Converse with us there. We're there all the time. Except during working hours. (laughs) That's right. Don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app that really helps our algorithms and do us a real favor. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure that you force it upon a friend of yours. And if you didn't like the show, make sure that you force it on your worst enemy. Just tell somebody. That's all we're asking. So, Sarah, take us out with your favorite health tech haiku from this month. Okay, my favorite health tech haiku has to do with my Apple Watch. Smartwatch yells, stand up. I rise, dance like no one's there. Coworkers stare. Tough. <laughs> I love it. It's so empowering. As someone who loves dancing and freaking out their coworkers, I, it was like yeah. a perfect haiku for me. That's right. Dance like no one's watching. All right. Here's mine. This was in this one I dedicate to Sarah for joining us. Virtual nurse pops in. Diagnosis, low Wi-Fi, reboot for your health. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Elliot. This is always like the highlight of my month, that one time that I get to talk to you. That's right. We never talk any other time. Thanks so much, Sarah. 
Thanks, listeners. Enjoy your month. See you next time on Tech It to the Limit. See you next time. Tech It to the Limit is produced by Sarah Harper and Elliot Wilson in consultation with ChatGPT. Because they are masochists and also don't have any sponsors. Yet. Music was composed by the world-famous court minstrel Evan O'Donovan. To consume more hilarious and informative content about digital transformation in healthcare, visit us online at techitothelimit.fun. And don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and across the event horizon. See you next time on Tech It to the Limit.